you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Jude. We've been going verse by verse through Jude. When Greg's not preaching, I've been preaching it anyway for the visitors. and We're going to go kind of fast today, but hope you can stay along. Stay up with us. I'm not going to repeat a lot of stuff that I've already taught on, but we'll hit a few subjects on the way, though, that we've already looked at. So, I'll read verses 8 through 11. Yet, in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh, and reject authority, and blaspheme glorious ones. But Michael, the archangel, when he, disputing with the devil, was arguing about the body of Moses did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay have poured themselves into the error of Balaam. And perished in Korah's in the rebellion of Korah. And so, on last time we looked at Jude verse nine, and we saw how Jude had compared the impostor's fruit from verse eight against the fruit of Michael the archangel in verse nine. And today we're going to look at verse ten and eleven. Verse ten compares the impostor's fruit against that of Michael the archangel, and which we'll see the imposter's fruit has led to their destruction. And then we're going to look at verse 11 and see three more Old Testament examples of what the imposter's root sins and fruit sins are. And just on a side note, we see here, we see Jude's fondness of combinations of three. I told you, check them out. There's 25 verses. There's... 13 combinations of three. There's a combination of four and a combination of five, all in these, just this little book of Jude. He's got an analytical mind and he just puts it all together like a puzzle to make his argument. So Jude starts off with verse 10. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand. And when Jude starts with the word but here in verse 10, He's just tying that verse 10 back to verses 8 and 9, but with a stronger sense. And Jude is showing what is happening to these imposters who will not repent of their root sins of unbelief, stubbornness, rebellion, and pride. Which in turn produces their fruit sins of blaspheming the glorious ones, rejecting authority, and defiling the flesh. Remember, these imposters have crept in unnoticed, So they act very religious, and they speak with very religious language as their camouflage, or maybe for their own assurance of what they call salvation. So in verse 8, we saw that the imposters blaspheme God's appointed servants. Then we looked at verse 9, and we saw two occasions where Satan made blasphemous judgments against God's appointed servant, Moses and Joshua. And what does it mean To blaspheme, when speaking about people. Well, to blaspheme people means to speak evil of, to utter abuse, 
to speak reproachfully of, or to knowingly or maliciously make a false accusation of a crime or offense against that person. And what, what, is, it, what is a blasphemous judgment? This means to make an insulting accusation or to use unworthy language that would not be found in any serious process of judgment. And this is what Michael would not commit against Satan. But as we went through that and as we were looking, did Satan tell the truth about their sin? Yes. Moses did murder the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Yes, Joshua did have filthy garments because of his sins and iniquity. Satan told the truth when he accused them before God. If Satan spoke the truth about Moses and Joshua's sin when he accused them, then why was Satan rebuked? Sixteen eighty nine gives us a little picture of why he was re- rebuked. Chapter 11, paragraph 3. By his obedience and death, Christ fully paid the debt of all those who are justified. He endured in their place the penalty they deserved. By this sacrifice of himself in his bloodshed on the cross, he legitimately, really, and fully satisfied God's justice on their behalf. Yet their justification is based entirely on free grace, because he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction were accepted in their place. These things were done freely, not because of anything in them, so that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God would be glorified in the justification of sinners. This is what Satan and the impostors refuse to recognize when they accuse God's elect, when they accuse you if your sins are covered by Jesus Christ's blood. Romans 8, 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who can condemn you? Romans 8, 31-39, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction, or turmoil, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's what Satan refuses to believe. And these imposters refuse it as well as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So Jude verse 10, it goes on to say, these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand. And here, Jude's getting progressively 
just looking at their sins, and he's, he's just taking it a step further. He's saying, this is worse. It's getting worse and worse as these imposters go on in their sin. And he's saying that these imposters, by blaspheming the things that they do not understand, are actually blaspheming the triune God, who is the creator of everyone and everything. And they are blaspheming the truths of the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So what does it mean to blaspheme God and his truth? It's to speak about God with irreverence or without fear of God. To revile or speak reproachfully of God and his truth about who he is, about what he has done, and what he is going to do. About what he promises to do. To profane or to swear when speaking about God. That's what it means to blaspheme. God. An example of this we see in Matthew 12, 22 through 24. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. And all the crowds were astounded and were saying, Can this man really be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. You see him blaspheming God. And Jesus Christ right there. Another example is in Acts 3 and 4. And you can look at that later. So how can I say these imposters are blaspheming God just by reading this verse, verse 10 here? Well, in the context, when Jude speaks of the judgment against these imposters, down in Jude 14 and 15, he mentions that it's all against Jesus Christ. All this blaspheming. But Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, also prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Him, Jesus Christ. But we just saw that these impostors were blaspheming the glorious ones. But when you blaspheme somebody who's in Christ Jesus, you blaspheme Christ himself. That's the warning. And that's the sin. But these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand. People condemn the ways and truths of God because they do not understand them. Why don't they understand? People are smart. They can read. They've seen history. Why don't they understand? Jude is saying that these imposters, not having the Spirit, are without divine wisdom from God. Therefore, they are ignorant in all spiritual matters. They don't have spiritual discernment. They can't understand spiritual truths. And they refuse to admit their foolishness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined or discerned. 1 Corinthians 1.18.25 For the word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. 
person without the Holy Spirit cannot discern the truths of God. Therefore, they blaspheme all of them. Jude goes on in verse 10, and he says, And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, Jude says that these impostors have rejected God's law and have abandoned the natural law, therefore they live according to their instincts. Instinct here signifies being guided by blind motion, without reason, without counsel, without self-control, without being sober-minded. They've become like unreasoning animals. Peter gives us a picture of the opposite of living by instincts. 2 Peter 1, 5-8 Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's just the opposite of these impostors that have crept into the church. Jude 10, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals. Jude says the impostors are like unreasonable animals. This implies that these impostors have lowered themselves to the point that is less than the level of animals, because even the animals abide by the laws of nature. When the scripture equates people as being animals, it usually means those people people are full of pride and are sexually immoral people which we can link back to Jude 4 when he says, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into sensuality. These imposters eventually, because of their pride, become sexual immoral, whether they're married or not. We see a picture of this with King Nebuchadnezzar. Because of his pride, God literally turned the king into a wild beast. Daniel 4, 31-37 While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is said, the kingdom has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your place of habitation will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you know that the Most High is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind and gives it to whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was accomplished, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws." But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes towards heaven, and my knowledge returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of earth... And no one can strike against his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my knowledge returned to me. 
and my majesty and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my high officials and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my kingdom, and extraordinary greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. If you want to go along in pride, beware. You may become a wild beast, at least inwardly. One man writes about unreasoning animals. If we had the head of a horse or the face of a pig or the hoofs of a mule, we would be thought to be monsters. But to have the heart of a beast is worse To be like them in the inner person is more terrible in God's sight. Just a side note here. God commands every Christian to humble themselves. Therefore, it would be unwise of any Christian to ask God to humble them. As they would be asking God to perform the command that they are supposed to obey And this God may do in such a way that that Christian can't imagine, like he did with King Nebuchadnezzar. Do not ask God to humble you. You are commanded to humble yourself if you're in Christ, and he will give you grace to do it. Jeremiah equates sexually immoral people as being like horses. Jeremiah 5, 7 through 8. Then they committed adultery and trooped to the harlot's house. There... They were well-fed, lusty horses, each one named after his neighbor's wife. And he's speaking of Israel. And he'll say it again later in Jeremiah. The prophet Isaiah writes about people being like dogs. Isaiah 56, 10 through 11. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs, unable to bark, dreamers lying down, who love to slumber. And the dogs have a strong appetite. They do not know satisfaction. And they are shepherds who do not understand. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his greedy gain, to the last one. They've all become like dogs. What are some ways in which a person has become like an unreasoning animal? Just thinking about our day and time. One man writes... I will show you some ways in which people turn into beasts. When indulging in the pleasures of the world, we are neither modest nor keep them within limits. We are behaving like pigs, wallowing in our own filthiness. A wild animal cannot help doing this, but even many wild animals do not do this. When a person lives by his appetite rather than by reason or conscience, nourishing the body but not bothering to refresh the soul, he is behaving like an unreasonable animal. This ought to humble many people who have a high opinion of themselves. They have a beast's heart under the cover of human shape. So let's move on in Jude 10. Jude says, by these things they are destroyed. Jude says that these imposters are destroyed by the very things in which they fail to understand. And by the sinful defilement of themselves, they bring God's punishment upon their bodies and God's eternal punishment upon their souls. 
The NIV translates Jude 10 like this, Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. The inflictions that these impostors have caused upon their own bodies are also punishments from God, as he gave them over to the lusts of their hearts. Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Peter agrees with this, 2 Peter 2.12, But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, blaspheming where they have no understanding or knowledge, will go, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Paul writes in Galatians 6.8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So let's move on to Jude verse 11 here, where again we see Jude's fondness combinations of three as he uses three more Old Testament examples with a combination of three nouns that are increasing in intensity. These nouns are way, error, and rebellion. Jude 11, woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have poured themselves into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. You see those combinations of three again? Jude starts with woe to them in this verse. And this is Jude's lamentation. Remember that although Jude has written a sharp letter that cuts to the heart, he loves the church of Jesus Christ and he loves his enemies. He laments over his enemies turning to their sins, turning from God. What is a lamentation? A lamentation is the passionate expression of grief or sorrow or weeping. We see this in the prophet Jeremiah. We see this in Jesus Christ himself. One man writes, The lamentation, woe to them, with variations, is a typical phrase that the Old Testament prophets uttered repeatedly to condemn persons or nations. Jesus uses the woe to place a curse on Chorazin, and Bethsaida, Matthew 11. And he rebukes the Pharisees with the series of seven woes, Matthew 23. And Paul calls a woe upon himself should he fail to preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9. Likewise, Jude pronounces woes upon his godless contemporaries as he tells them that they are heading for destruction. At the same time, his words are a warning to his readers not to permit these godless men to lead them astray. So in his woe, in Jude's woe, he is, he's warning them, but with a grief, with a love, with a passion for them to turn from their sins, just as we should do if we are going to contend for the faith. And this is a warning for every Christian. Don't be led astray. To the doubters later on in Jude, don't be led astray by these impostors, to the contaminated, turn from your sins, to the contaminators, the influencers, stop it. 
turn to Christ. Woe to you. So Jude 11 goes on. For they have gone the way of Cain. Jude says that the imposters have went the way of Cain. Who is Cain? Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. I'll read the whole thing. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it happened in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to Yahweh of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and it happened when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now cursed are you from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will be that whoever finds me will kill me. So Yahweh said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh appointed a sign for Cain, so that no one who found him would strike him. Then Cain went out from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So what is the way of Cain. And what is the way of Cain that these imposters have taken? Well, we can just make two observations from Genesis 4 with the help of other scriptures as well. First, Cain acted in unbelief when he brought his offering to the Lord. In Genesis 4, 3 and 5. And Cain left the presence of the Lord in Genesis 4, 16. How do we know that Cain acted in unbelief? Because we see in Hebrews that Abel's sacrifice was offered by faith and accepted by the Lord, which means that Cain's sacrifice was offered in unbelief and unacceptable to the Lord. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was approved as being righteous, God approving his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. It wasn't about the sacrifice. It was about the faith when he gave that sacrifice to Yahweh. And Cain was acting in unbelief. And we see because of that, he left the presence of the Lord eventually because he did not believe the gospel. Second, 
Cain's unbelief caused him to be so angry that he killed his brother Abel, who was made righteous by his faith. We know this from 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. How have the imposters gone the way of Cain? Well, this implies that the imposters' root sin of unbelief has caused their fruit sin of hatred and murder. They don't physically murder the brothers and sisters in the church because it would be difficult to stay unnoticed if everyone in the church was dying. (laughs) But the imposters have no love for Jesus Christ and his church. Therefore, their hatred comes out through their mouths and the way they speak about Christ's church and their hatred is seen physically in in their unwillingness to serve the members of Christ's church when they see the members who are in need and refuse to help them. And that's based all off 1 John, if you take the time to study that chapter 3. And I say it comes out of their mouth now, their hatred, their murder. Matthew 15, 10 through 11. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And then 15, 18, and 19. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false witness, slanders. That's what's in your heart, and it all comes out of your mouth. And we've looked at that before when we're looking at Jude verse 5. So Jude 11, let's move on. And for pay, they have poured themselves into the error of Balaam. Who was Balaam? Balaam was the son of Beor. And his story starts in Numbers 22, where we see the king of Moab trying to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites. And we see his death recorded in Numbers 31.8, when he was killed with the sword. And for the sake of time, we're not going to read all these scriptures concerning Balaam. We'll just look at one man's point and see the main point that Jude is talking about. One man writes about Balaam's story. A superficial reading of the Old Testament account leaves the impression that Balaam obeyed God by blessing the Israelites. In fact, the Old Testament passages failed to to disclose that Balaam indeed received a reward for his prophecies. Nevertheless, Scripture indicates Balaam sought to corrupt the Israelites by enticing them to sexual immorality and idol worship. When John records Jesus' letter to the church in Pergamum, he writes, You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Revelation 2.14 Jesus is referring to Israel's sin at Beal Peor. Numbers 25 Because of this sin, thousands of Israelites died in the plague, and thousands of Midianites died on the battlefield. Among the slain Midianites was Balaam, Numbers 31.8. So Jude says that for pay, the imposters have poured themselves into the error of Balaam. What was the error of Balaam? Well, the word error here is in the active tense, meaning that 
Balaam wasn't led astray by error, but that Balaam's error was deceiving the Israelites for money and leading the Israelites into sin. Get a little picture of this in 2 Peter 2.15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own lawlessness, for a mute donkey speaking out with a voice of a man restrained the madness of this prophet. So it wasn't necessarily an error. It was deception. He was deceiving the Israelites. Balaam's love of self and love of money caused him to deceive the Israelites and lead them into sin. Jude says that the imposter's root sin of pride, love of self, causes their fruit sin of leading people from God into sin for the sake of gain. And we'll look at that further down in Jude when we get to verse 17. Let's move on. Jude 11. And they perished in the rebellion of Korah. And who was Korah and what was his rebellion? Korah and his rebellion is recorded in Numbers 16. Korah was the son of Izhar and came from the family line of Reuben. Korah refused to keep his position under the leadership of Moses and Aaron and led 250 leaders and their congregations to rebel against God by refusing to follow the leadership of Moses and Aaron and assembling against Moses and Aaron. Numbers 16, 1 through 3. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Datham and Abram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took others, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, those called upon by the assembly, men of renown. Then they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and Yahweh is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above this, the assembly of Yahweh? And what happened to Korah and all those who rebelled against God's appointed servants? who they refused to see them as authoritative and put there by God. Numbers 16, 31, 35. And Moses said, By this you shall know that Yahweh has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not from my heart. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then Yahweh has not sent me. But if Yahweh creates an entirely new thing and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they go down to Sheol alive, then you will know that these men have spurned Yahweh. And it happened that as he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions so that they all that belonged to them went down to Sheol alive. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their outcry, for they said, Lest the earth swallows us up. Fire also came forth from Yahweh and consumed the 250 men who were bringing near the incense. 
They all rejected Moses and Aaron, but they were really rejecting God, and they all perished right there in front of all of Israel. And if you keep reading, the next day the people still grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Jude says that in the same way the impostors' root sin of stubbornness rebellion has caused their fruit sin of rejecting the authority of God's appointed servants and leading others to refuse the leadership and teaching of God's appointed servants. That's what these impostors are doing. I'll read Jude 11 again. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have poured themselves into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And we just saw that those people perished all in one day. But Jude says they have perished. And he's talking about these imposters. You see that? He says, and they. So if you start at the beginning, for they have gone the way of Cain. So you can simply say, for they have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Jude uses perished here in the past tense, meaning that Jude is so confident of the impostor's destruction because of their sins that Jude says they have already perished. Jude here gives the strongest warning to everyone in the church that if they are led astray by these impostors and are committing the same sins as the impostors, that they too will perish and possibly have already perished in the sight of God. One man writes, Observe that the wicked people may read about their own destruction and the destruction of others who sinned before them. They break the same law, and God views this in the same way as he did before. The intention of divine providence is to take vengeance is as powerful as ever. These people act from the same lusts, which God hates as much as ever. Sin has not grown less dangerous now in the later days. Surely, then, you would think that men would grow wiser, having so many precedents. Pride may see its downfall in Nebuchadnezzar, sedition in Korah, rebellion in Absalom, violence in Cain, adultery in Jezebel, and usurping of sacred offices without a call in the leprosy of Uzziah. There is hardly a persistent sin that we are not warned about from the examples of people who committed them in the past. They are like signposts along the path we travel, saying in effect, Take heed. Do not enter here. If you do, it will result in your ruin and destruction. We must look to Christ and be godly. Do not look to the impostors. Do not follow their ways. Do not think that you can get away with sin today. Do not swerve from the truth. He says we must look to Christ and be godly. If you're a Christian today, look to Christ and be godly. Trust and obey like the song says. If you're not a Christian, look to Christ and be saved, the Bible says. I'll end here with 1 John 1, 5-7. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him 
there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus' blood cleanses you from all of your sin. If you are in Christ today, no one can condemn you. Yes, they accuse you. Yes, Satan accuses you. But no one can condemn you. And you are free to contend for the faith as you are commanded to do earnestly, with passion, with grief over their sins. Contend for the faith. 